Hello, can you guys hear me out there? You guys been real quiet. Come on, one more time. Give it up. Come on. <laughs> Miss Heidi, what's going on? I, you know, nothing. Just having a little party here at uh, my office, Central Library. <laughs> yeah, so what I wanted to do real quick before we started was a little housekeeping before we get started. I want to give a shout out to Miss Megan right there. She set this all up. Miss Emily also set it all up. You guys, they're right in the back. Um, they came out with the concept and said, like, hey, let's do No Picks Dark live at the library. I'm like, I haven't been to the library in 10 years, so I guess we can do that here. What? So, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. No. But, but. Okay, now it is. Can you guys hear? Can you hear? Okay, great. All right. Um, I want to give a shout out to my guy, Mark. Stand up, Mark. This is my brother right here. He gets me, he gets me Taylor. Look at me, look at me. Yo, he got me, so you got me looking good tonight. So I appreciate you, brother. We, and so many times in life, we don't really give people shout outs that we normally do. Before we get into the show, my barber Tavon's here. North, and then my Northeast crowd. Northeast, stand up. Come on. Come on, Northeast. <laughs> and this is the first time my mom has come and my aunt have come to the show. First time ever. So thank you guys. It was a long way from the burbs, so we had to get them down in the city for a little bit. So again, let's get into the show. So thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Oh, thanks for being here and hanging out with me. This is great. And I, 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 you know, I messed up. My DJ, what's up, brother? I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, brother. But let's, let's get into the conversation. You know, we're here tonight to talk about you, how you got ended up in Baltimore, um, your journey. You know, I, I've heard your journey. We have something in common. Okay. Youngstown, Ohio. Yes. Youngstown, Ohio. I don't, really rem I don't really remember that place, but that's all right, though. Yeah. I'm I, good. I lived there about five years. Yeah, that's so. all you need. Yeah. That's all you need in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, obviously, because I'm here. So. We're, we're here. We're thankful that you're here. So let's, I always tell people at the podcast, this is not about me. The story is about you. And that's why we're here this evening. We want to learn a little bit more about you. How'd you end up in Baltimore and your story? So let's talk about where are you from originally? So I grew up in a really tiny town in the middle of Michigan uh, called Elma, Michigan. Uh, it's like if you're from Michigan, you hold up your hand and you point out. So it's like it's here. It's right in the middle of the Lower Peninsula, and it's a small town out in the country. Um, and that's where, you know, I was raised until high school, and uh, I ended up graduating from Chicago, or from school in Chicago, because I was always drawn to big cities. I was never, I kind of was always that kid in the small town who was like, I hate being in a small town. I really want to, like, move, live in a big city. Everybody knows your business in a small town. Like, you know, everyone's calling your mom when you're, like, you know, doing things you shouldn't be doing. Not, not that I would ever have done something I wasn't supposed to do, but, hey, <laughs> you know. Social media wasn't around there, right, so we good. We good. We good. We don't got to talk about those things. I'm always, I'm so grateful to be uh, Gen X and not have to worry about. Facts. <laughs> I mean, not that there was, Megan, don't worry, there's nothing to do Facts. with. Facts. Yeah. We don't, we don't. <laughs> right. That's why, that's why I named No Pics of the Dark. That's what we talk about. Right. We don't take pictures of the dark around like here. It, yeah. But, um, <laughs> so let's talk about, I knew a little story about you. I heard that 
your parents really wanted you to go to the library and learn a lot about the library. Tell us a little background about that and how you got involved as young when you were younger. So um, I am adopted. My parents tried for a really long time to have a child, a biological child, and it wasn't in the picture for them. So they uh, adopted me. Um, I was actually going to be named Elizabeth. Yes, adoption is awesome. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I was actually going to be named Elizabeth, but then my mom watched a movie with Shirley Temple called Heidi. I don't know if anyone like, is kind of dating the time. But, um, and then that's why I ended up with the name Heidi. So, um, but, so they, went, they, they adopted me, and neither of them had a college education. My dad had only finished eighth grade and then went uh, and worked in a factory in Michigan. Um, his reading skills, he was, you know, basically functionally illiterate, and growing up, he would always ask me to like read things to him. Um, and my mom really, really, really wanted me to have an education. And she was like, if she learns to read, she'll love to learn, and if she loves to learn, she'll go to school, right? And this was when like my parents didn't think about like, oh, student debt or anything like that. It was like, oh, she'll go to college and then instantly become a millionaire. So obviously that worked out really well. Um, but she, <laughs> I majored in women's studies and <laughs> then got my graduate degree in library science and here I am. But uh, so, yeah, so they were really, really encouraging um, me to do, you know, a, a path that would lead me uh, to education. So they didn't really know how to do that, except before they adopted me, I, my mom went and bought all the little golden books, um, which, you know, you could buy them at the time, they were like five cents or whatever, and it was like the little pokey puppy, and so, and she, so she, they got those, and then um, I was, as a young child, they would read to me, I was a voracious reader, so quickly they were like, oh, we'll have to go to the library, and for me, that just became this place of absolute sanctuary and wonder, and like, it wasn't just because of books, which I love to read. I am a voracious reader. I love books. Um, shout out to Snug Books and from our neighborhood. Yeah, right? Snug um, Books is in the house. That's what's up. I saw your sweatshirt, so. I forgot. We are neighbors. We are neighbors yes. in Northeast also. Yes, so yes. I also found studio, right? right yeah, I found studio. studios yeah. in the house. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm just going through the like <laughs> northeast corner over here. Um, so, yeah, so my, so my parents, it was just, I love to read, but it was really more about the fact that I could be there and there wasn't a price tag on anything and it really didn't matter what the economic status of my family was, right? Like there were times where my dad was a factory worker, there were times where he was laid off or, um, you know, maybe the union was on strike or there were just other moments where we were really financially not able to afford a lot of things and we would be on public assistance and it, my mom would always say, we'd go to the grocery store and she'd be like, go stand over and look at the books or because she, there was a sense of stigma, right, and shame around it. But when you went to the library, there was never a sense of stigma and shame because it didn't matter what our income was. And so for me, it wasn't just about the books. It was about this place of possibility where I could come and be and be in a space with people who were from all different families and neighbors. I mean, it was a pretty small town, so, you know, but from the other side of the railroad tracks. And uh, it was just wonderful because it created this sense of equality and democracy. So for the rest of my life, I would just love being in the space of public libraries. And I sort of fell into libraries on accident. Um, I, was getting, I was getting my MBA. I was working, I had, um, was living in Oklahoma City, which is a story I won't tell how I got there. But, um, <laughs> and someone said, you should, um, you should apply for this job in libraries. It would be great for you. And I thought, libraries, like I'm so loud and, um, you know, don't, like at the time my hair was pink and I had like four nose rings, you know, and so I was like, I don't know if I was a good fit for that. And so I ended up um, 
going into Pine, it was in outreach services. And during that time, there wasn't a ton of programming happening around the country. And they took one look at me and said, you can do programming for teens. And I was 22, maybe 23 at the time, 23 or 24, I can't remember. Um, doesn't matter anyway. Um, over 20 years ago. So we were, um, you know, in this space where we were creating all this really fun stuff and doing all this art stuff, and I was doing programs with uh, teens and juvenile justice centers, and those kids would be, like, so excited when you'd come, and they'd, like, be really into the conversations and the books, and it just was this amazing sense of creating community and lifting up the voices of people who maybe hadn't had a chance to have their voices lifted up before and turning it over to them and letting them be empowered to run with the programs. And so I just fell in love with it and I ended up getting my master's degree and then I went to work in Houston for a number of years. And, East Town. Uh, huh? I, I love East Town. Yeah. So yes, and that's where I met my husband and that's who's where a my, Houstonian. My family lived in Houston for a little bit too. Did they? Yeah, oh, yeah. We're like, yeah. we've like had the same places. I didn't live there. I was up in Syracuse. It was freezing and it was yeah, cold okay. so I didn't get down there. <laughs> you didn't get to go It was to just like college. I wasn't going back yeah, down. Well, but Houston is like, it's incredibly hot. It's, it's hot. Like, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Papados. Oh, I love Papados. It's you know so about good. Pa you shout out to anybody from Texas know about Papados. You know what I'm talking about, Terry, out there. Yeah. Veronica, you know all the time about Papados. Yeah, and if you go to Houston, you have to go to the original Ninfas if you like Tex-Mex. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's the best. Yeah. And there's a place called French's Chicken. Oh, French's Chicken, are you kidding oh, me? It's my so goodness. good. Yeah. Oh, my. I'm sorry, people sorry. in Baltimore, <laughs> Rofo, it doesn't even taste. No, it, it, it's not even it, 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 it's, it's Southern there's food. Like it's that Frenchies. Southern food when you go to sleep five minutes after yeah. you eat the meal. That's and how the, good it is. The Shipley's Donuts, although someone told me that they opened a Shipley's somewhere they here did. in Maryland, did they? And buoy, and, and buoy, yeah. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, isn't that see? So we've like, I feel like we've the same geographical path. Did I you ever live in Michigan? No, 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 no. I didn't go. No. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Like, as uh, an opportunity, but I was like, nah, we good. You said no. I'm okay. Good. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm so. good. I know the Great Lakes. We good. That's all. Yeah, they are good. Though. They're yeah. good. <laughs> but uh, I guess here's another question I want to throw to you. How did you hear about the Enat Pratt? Like, because I mean, I heard from from what I was told. I'm not going to point elbows. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at you over there. Um, it's world-renowned. Everybody knows about yeah. Enat Pratt. Like, how did you find out about it? When did you were like, okay, this is a place where I want to be in? Feel a part of it. So it is Romer now. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, our, obviously Dr. Carla Hayden is amazing, and every you know she's sort of a legend in the library field. So, um, and and she had started her career here in 1993, uh, which was before I was in libraries. So by the time I got to libraries, people were really talking about the work of the Pratt in the communities. Like I said, I was really into community engagement and the role of the public library to build, sustain, and empower communities, which is still my focus. And Pratt was doing some great work. And they had done a really great job in teen services in particular. Like they had started, young adult services literally started at Enoch Pratt Library. Like um, there was this seminal book called, um, what is it, The Garden Beasts? Uh, Darcy, here. It's Beasts and Gardens. Um, I can't, I'll look up the title later and we'll, I'll give it to you. But um, it's, I think it's called like The Beasts and the Beautiful Gardeners with Me. But it's about teens in the library and it was um, sort of the book that launched young adult services in libraries. So it's, everyone knows about it. And then when I got to Houston, the uh, director of Houston is a woman named uh, Dr. Rhea Lawson. And she started right, I think, just before I went to Houston. And she's from Baltimore. Um, or 
and started her career here at Pratt. So she would send the compass, which looked different then, especially once I was in charge of programming at Houston, she would send it up to my office all the time and be like, look at what the Pratt's doing. So it was like just over and over and over again, I would have to look at the compass and, um, <laughs> and read what the Pratt was doing. And so it just sort of became this like refrain in my mind, like what would Pratt do? So. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it just was really well known in the industry, and I had just heard amazing things about the library and was just always like, it's got to be a really special library if it has these deep roots in the community and if the community loves it um, and cares about it to the degree that they do. So, um, I, you know, I guess then I went to Ohio and was the CEO uh, for Youngstown, for, which is a 15-branch countywide system in Mahoning County. Um, for five years, and right as I was hitting my fifth anniversary, uh, Dr. Hayden was leaving to become the Librarian of Congress, and I was telling my husband about this, and I was like, yeah, and he was like, oh, so they're going to be looking for a CEO, and I was like, yeah, they will be. I wonder who's going to get that job, and he's like, well, are you going to apply, and I was like, oh, no way. Like, they would, <laughs> no, they'd never hire me, and he's like, you've got to apply, because if you don't apply, you're just going to talk about it for the rest of your life. Like, you're literally going to tell me every night, like, you know what I should have done? I should have applied for this job at Pratt. He's like, and frankly, I just don't want to have to live the rest of my life hearing about that, so if you could just apply, I was like, okay, fine. So then the next thing I know, I'm here being interviewed, and the next thing I know, I got an offer, and six years later, here I am. Well, thank you for being here. You're yeah. doing an amazing job at the Pratt Library. And I just want to say, oh, my mic shut off. And I just want to say that um, I was just at a conference in New York City of other library CEOs, and no less than five of them came up to me and said, I make my staff read the compass every single time it comes out. And I send it around, and it's so amazing. And you, Baltimore looks like such a vibrant city, and we're just studying what you guys do. So it's still a tradition. And uh, somewhere out there is your next director being forced to read the compass. So. I love it. I love it. I love it. So we're going to you know, ask a couple questions about so Baltimore. When you first heard about Baltimore, what was your first thought? before you got here? I mean, what were some of the thoughts that you heard and then like when you got here, you were like, oh, this is totally not true or this is definitely true. What are some things you, like, did you, because it's charm city hour. Right. You know, I, I love this city. So what, what did you think about it? So I'm going to be completely transparently honest. My focal point on Baltimore was the Enoch Pratt Free Library. So I knew that there were 22 library branches <laughs> throughout the city and I knew, um, I knew specifically where they were. <laughs> And um, actually, that means I actually ended up knowing a lot about the city before I even started because before I interviewed, they did a little bus tour with us where we could go around and look at some of the branches. And then I went out on my own and took pictures. So I took pictures at Penn North, and I went down to Edmondson, and I went over to uh, Washington Village and several other locations, and I took pictures of things, and I talked to people because, you know, I'm just some, you know, woman and, you know, Converse in a hoodie, and so people talk to me. And so I asked questions, what did you, you know, what do you think about the library? What do you think about Baltimore? And so that's kind of how I got to know Baltimore was like during that interview process when I just wandered around and talked to people. I came here, it was under construction, um, you know, talked to some staff. And then we were supposed to give a presentation during my interview. So my presentation were pictures of all these branches that I had visited, um, which, um, if you visit all 22 of our locations throughout the city of Baltimore, you hit almost the entire city. And you don't just hit Roland Park, and you don't even just hit Lauraville, right, which I love, but you, you hit a lot of different parts of the city that are amazing and different and unique, which you might be told to stay away from. Um, I mean, I walked down to Lexington Market by myself, 
and went and got Faley. You know, and like I didn't think anything of it and was telling everyone, like, I went to Faley's by myself last night. It was amazing. The best crab cake. I've never had a crab cake before. I looked at you like you were crazy, right? When I, I mean, people were like, did. really? And I was like, I just didn't even think about it. So um, I didn't know about it. And then I went home. We took the job. And then my husband's like, oh, remember that show we watched forever ago, that David Simon show, The Wire? You know, that's in Baltimore. And then I was like, oh, yeah. But it was not my first thought at all. And I um, had watched the show well before there. And... Um, so now I bring that up because people, now that I live here, people always say to me, like, is it like The Wire? And I get so angry, which I think is funny because um, it's just sort of a natural reaction it's, now to be like, there's a lot more to the So it's, it's very interesting um. to say that about, so I just did a show on Vice TV, and one of the comments that came out. Uh, Yay! I have a couple of my co-hosts are actually in the house. Chris Franzani was on the show with me on Vice. A couple of people were here, but... Um, one of the big comments was from my people who I don't even know that reached out to my Twitter and to my Instagram. And they were like, we always thought Baltimore, that, that, that narrative of the wire, you showed a whole different side of the city that we've never seen. You showed us something different that wasn't touristy. You went to a place that that's really true Baltimore where people will hang out. And that's the one thing we're trying to really push that narrative of change, a different narrative of Baltimore. Because yes, don't get me wrong, it's one of the best shows ever. But yeah. there's more in Baltimore than what you see. And I think a lot of people, I mean, we're right now, we're close to 90,000 views without any promotion for That's Vice TV. Awesome. Um, I mean, they just went bankrupt. And now, you know, but, but I mean, that, but there's a good story sure behind that. Sure not because of you. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no there's a good story behind that. I'll tell people one day on, on the show about how that, they actually, the whole thing, Munchies actually closed on Christmas. And I was like, this show's not going to see the light of day. And I knew that. And luckily, the guy who reached out was like, we want this Baltimore show to come out. It was too powerful for us not to make it happen. They fired all the people in the staff except for one guy. And that one guy was the guy who reached out to me. Him and I talked every month. And I was like, we got to get the show out. We got to get the show out. We got to get the show out. He's like, we're going to get it out. Got delayed one time. I'm like, this is not going to ever come out. Second time, it was like, he's like, it's coming out. And this is a blessing that Baltimore got shown in a different light. And I appreciate it. If anybody watched it, thank you guys for watching and supporting. That's, that's awesome. And I think it's a great point because one of the things I love, again, about my job is when I go to the branches or I'm out in the communities, I mean, there's so many interesting parts of the city and it's so multifaceted and it's so easy just to look around a city and only see the negative, right? right? And I'm not saying that there's not, but I think the, it's the people that are in the communities that are the heart of our neighborhoods and Every neighborhood I visit has people who care deeply about it and want it to be an amazing neighborhood and a safe neighborhood, and they're fighting for the kids in their neighborhood, and they're wanting to hold on to businesses and institutions like the Pratt and how we help build up those communities rather than just looking around and thinking about all of the problems that exist, right? And because the people, like we all live in a neighborhood that has problems, every single one of us. And we also live in neighborhoods that are amazing and complex and great, just like the people who make them up. So it's so frustrating when people come and want to talk about something that is just one perspective. Well, I want to—I really want to thank Pratt. And it's a story. Well, well you guys are amazing. You know, ever I remember during the pandemic, and I remember, remember watched the young lady that was outside of Taco Bell on the internet. Pratt, you guys stepped up and had that Wi-Fi boost spots all around the city for kids yeah. to go and do their work and people who can't, who aren't accessed to broadband. So I want to thank you. What did you guys come with that? How did you guys, that whole program with that? Well, 
I mean, first of all, when we closed for COVID, there was one big obvious issue we immediately knew, and we talked about it before we even had to make the really difficult decision to close our doors to the public, which was that we had about um, 13 to 14,000 people who were just computer use only customers around the city. So that meant that the primary thing that they were doing when they came in the building was getting on the computer and using the computer. So we immediately started to worry about what about all of these people who rely on us for internet access and for access to information and resources. We're in a time when people need access to reliable information more than ever and our doors will be shut. You won't be able to get in there to get it. So how are we going to make sure we bridge that gap? And we weren't alone, right? The entire public library industry. I mean, people talk about digital equity and the digital divide and the digital gap. Um, and that has become really popular talking point since COVID, which it should. But long before COVID happened, we had all of these computers here for people who didn't have home access computers since I started in libraries 20 years ago, right? And that was like, I remember when I first started in libraries, we were all like, oh, what's going to happen to the library with the computer? Like, it's going to change everything. And people were really stressed out about it. Not me, because I love change and um, flux and the continuation of industries and always believed that libraries are in the access business and not in the book business, which if you believe we're in the access business and the information and resources business, disruption is natural and exciting as opposed to if you believe we're in the one format business, right? So um, people ask me that all the time, like, what are you going to do when books are gone? And I'm like, well, one, books are never going to be gone. And then two, we have, a, I mean, they're not. And then two, you know, we got a lot of other things that we provide access to. But um, the point is, is we immediately looked around and said, what are other people doing? We knew expansion of Wi-Fi was going to be a big piece. But we also became really concerned because Look, you can provide a computer, you can provide Wi-Fi, you can provide home access, and that does not mean that you've closed the digital divide. It's way deeper than that, right? People don't always know how to use the computers. Um, there's that skill set. If you think about it as a marathon, which I always do because I run, you know that like some people are at mile 22 and some people are at you know their first water stop at mile 3. And some people are halfway through, and some people are still at the start line trying to figure out whether or not they want to register for the race. So you got to think through that whole continuum. Work together to have these cohorts where they can learn and grow each other's skill sets. Like we had people who learned how to be contact tracers. We had individuals who learned how to find bus routes online. They didn't know how to do that before. We had people practicing interviews because they'd never used Zoom before. Um, so it was actually kind of an exciting time in that regard, in that we got to try and pilot a lot of new stuff. Like obviously, there's nothing really exciting about COVID, but being able to try a lot of new stuff was um, advantageous. And I think for us, the only question we were asking the whole time was how do we continue to serve the communities in really meaningful ways while keeping our staff and the community safe, right? So it was um, not easy and, you know, it was, it's hard when you have to say this is the information we have today and tomorrow the information we have is different and it's going back to what the information was three days ago and now it's changing again, you know, there was a time of great uncertainty and we all had to sort of accept that. But we looked around and we said, what can we do? And then we just sort of threw everything that we had out there. And the things that really worked were keeping. So, you know, we have a lot of emergency connectivity fund devices. So we're still checking out laptops. We're still checking out hotspots. Um, we are still 
um, doing classes and digital equity. We've just gotten several grants to increase our number of digital navigators to be able to reach out and help and do you know digital literacy. Um, and we have some exciting grants coming down. Thanks to ARP funding, we're going to be able to rethink our computer spaces in several libraries that were highly impacted by COVID. And we're looking at creating you know, different spaces because when COVID happened and everybody's sitting elbow to elbow, we immediately lost um, several computer capacities because people couldn't sit next to each other and our computers are all lined up, which was, for me also, I've hated computer banks. Like I hate them because I've always looked at them and thought, okay, so people come in to use the computers. At first it was a novelty, but now it's a necessity. When people come in to use them because they don't have home internet for whatever reason, they don't have home computer, and then we create the second class digital citizenship where we say, okay, you can come in, you can use our computers, but we're gonna make you sit in this really awkward, uncomfortable space. You're going to have no privacy. Your neighbor can look at you, everyone can look at you. So, like it's, you're sitting next to someone, so if you have to talk to someone, like this has gotta be really annoying for someone trying to work at these computers right now, right? Like there's no privacy, there's no space. Um, so, yeah, we have this art funding and I want to completely rethink it because I believe that every community should have access to high-end working spaces regardless of their zip code. It shouldn't be tied to whether or not you can, you know, afford certain things or not certain things. Um, you should have a space to work, right? Um, you should be able to come in and say, I need to telework today and I'm going to have to use this sh public space for a while, but it should be comfortable and feel good for working. So we're going to recreate some of our computer spaces. I'm really excited about that model. I think it'll be a national model for public libraries all across the country. Um, and we're also going to create outdoor spaces because during COVID, the other thing that we saw was that people would be using our outdoor Wi-Fi and they would be like sitting on curbs or on the grass or next to a dumpster. And that is also not a great way to work. And people say, oh, what kind of businesses are people going to be setting up if you put a bench outside? They're going to sit there. I'm like, I don't know, but hopefully a productive one and a lucrative one, right? Like that's not my concern, I want people to have these spaces that they can work in and that feel good and create senses of community and that it doesn't matter what your zip code is, but you have that. And that's what the library's job is. So um, I'm really excited about that. We have so many social impact programs that we're launching um, that kind of go along with that. We recent, you know, we have our social workers. Today I came downstairs, there was a social worker, there was someone from the mayor's office of um, employment development here doing helping with uh, job work. Um, we had our peer recovery coaches helping folks who are, have been impacted by substance misuse disorder. Um, we have nurses that come in. We have um, housing navigators that come in. And this is in our branches too around the city. Um, we're launching telehealth hopefully by fall um, where you'll be able to come in get an appointment with a doctor. Not because I want to be a doctor's office but because we need to connect people to the resources they need. Because if you have no access to insurance and a disease that you uh, you know, chronic disease that you need to manage, I can't get you to the point where you're going to check out a book because that's not your primary focus right now, right? So our job is to get you there wherever you need to go on your journey. So we're providing all of access to all of these resources through smart partnerships, um, through experts, um, and convening them in our spaces um, so that we can be a social impact hub. And we kind of realized through COVID that that's what people need and that they need this sense together. There was a great report on loneliness as an epidemic. I'm sure many of you have seen that. And in that, um, you know, the Surgeon General called out the role of public libraries in combating loneliness. And I think that that's also really powerful because again, that's what we do. We connect people 
with resources and with each other, um, we provide access. So we're excited to be able to think through how all of that plays out into the library of the future. I love it. I love it. Give it a round of applause. Come on. <clears throat> she, um, she dropped a lot of jewels and gems for us real quick, and uh, I really appreciate, you know, everybody coming out this evening. You know, I'm not going to let you off the hook yet. Because I always do something at the end of the show. I haven't done it this season, but a lot of people have been calling me to bring it back this year. So we're going to go with um, crab cakes or crabs? Crab cakes. It's too much work for the crabs. I mean, it's fun, but it's like, it's a lot of work. <laughs> uh, see, it's a little, it's 50-50 around here. It's 50-50. It's all right. All right. We, snowballs or ice cream? Snowballs. Okay, with all right, all right, all right, all right. We got and the uh, egg custard. Egg custard. Okay, yeah. egg custard. All right. <laughs> so... Do you eat chicken wings? Of course. Flats or drums? I'm a flats guy. So sorry, sorry. Hold up. Blue cheese or ranch? I can't. Like blue cheese, yeah, we yeah. We're we, we in this conversation right now. No, we can't even talk. No, we can't. No, 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 no. You must be from the Midwest. I addressed that ranch. I don't touch it. But I know Megan has something that she wanted to do real quick. Sorry, I keep showing up. We want to talk about our Summer Break Baltimore uh, program, which is coming up. So if you have young children or teenagers or you yourself are interested, you can do Summer Break Baltimore, uh, which is our program. And for you, Erin, we got wow. our T-shirt for wow. this summer. Wow. And it's kind of an unveiling. You got to turn it around. Right. So... It's an unveiling of our design, too, right? You got your Oriole on the lemon stick here, and uh, it's, it's very Baltimore, and it's all yours. So and I expect to see you, you wearing it around you know, the neighborhood. Did you know orange is my color? <laughs> I didn't. Did you is know it? that? No, I didn't. I'm a, I'm a Syracuse orange person. Oh, yeah. it makes perfect sense. Juice, yeah, it's yeah. orange. Yeah, Good, so, so you, it'll look great on you. <laughs> my Q's people are in, in, in tennis <laughs> right now. But, no, I wanted to thank you for this lovely evening. I'm glad that you and I Pratt opened this up, the doors to make this happen. We're actually coming back with another show, August 25th, with Damien, with Brandon Woody, live here at Hammond Brandon. If you know Brandon Woody, if you know him, that's going to be an amazing show. Um, him and I are going to be on a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's going to be a Friday night before Labor Day, so come on out, enjoy yourselves. And, again, thank you for taking time out of your day to make this happen. Thank you to your staff for making this happen. This has been a beautiful evening. Thank you, most importantly, to you guys that came tonight. You could have been anywhere. Thank you. You guys could have been at the bar, outside, hanging out, but thank you guys. Give you guys. And I really, really appreciate it. Anything else you want to leave us with? No, uh, make sure you pick out a compass uh, on your way out so you know about all of our great programs. It's really important that you read your compass. And uh, I want to thank you, Erin. This was amazing. And thank you all for being here this evening. And, uh, yeah, support the Pratt Library. And as we always say, love, peace, we're out.